I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald, back at the helm after a week's hiatus with Mike Sielski and David Murphy, and coming up later in the show, a special guest, Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports and MLB Network, one-time Philadelphian back in the day. Yeah, you definitely need to tune in for, you stick around, even if you want to fast forward through this part, that's what I would recommend, because Ken Rosenthal's the man. He it, is. It was, he it, is. It was a very good conversation about uh, a piece he wrote on Philly's pitching coach, Bob McClure, who's sort of been the horse whisperer to this pitching staff in a lot of ways, and a little chat about sort of where the Phillies are now and, and where they're going and how long it might be before they uh, really are contenders instead of just contenders in our imagination after this hot start. But we are going to start this show in general with, surprise, Sam Bradford and Carson Wentz. What else is there to talk about anymore? We've gotten some questions over the last couple of days and weeks from readers as well, we got a lot of complaints, too, I think it's safe to say. But, uh, <laughs> well, got, wait, wait, wait. Th- those actually aren't readers' questions. They aren't? Re- oh, I thought they were. No. Can we imagine but, that they're readers' questions? Well, I was we reading, can imagine they have listeners? I was reading them to myself. I was I was, I was riding the R6 down from, or whatever they call it now, the Doyle's Dallas. Regional Rail. RR, the Reading Railroad. Oh, well, we, we can imagine their questions from listeners because then we can imagine that we have listeners. So Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, I will ask. Isn't it pretty to think we're gonna so? talk. This is We're talking about Sam Bradford, but we're going to talk about it in, in some ways that i find interesting yeah well yeah. That, that's the whole point of the show right yeah to be interesting so, so dave yeah all right here we go first question if sam bradford remains healthy through all of this year how many games will he start i say no more than 10 and let's well let's prefer this by saying you wrote about this yeah i did well i wrote a column for for wednesday's inquire it went online tuesday on philly.com about kind of the phony sell that the Eagles are making about how this quarterback plan of theirs is going to work in 2016. Ostensibly, they're saying, uh, you know, Sam Bradford will be the starter, you know, for the entire season. He could be the starter beyond the the season if he if he plays well. And we're not going to rush Carson Wentz in anything, yada, yada, yada. When the fact is, if you look at recent history over the last decade of the NFL draft, if you draft a guy in the first round, he's going to play in his first year. And if you draft a guy in the top among the top three picks of a particular draft, as the Eagles did with Carson Wentz, he's going to play and start that first year. There have been 11 quarterbacks taken among the first three picks in the last 10 years. Nine of them started week one for the team that drafted them. Okay, nine out of 11. And one of those, one of the two who didn't was Blake Bortles, who was starting by week five. And the other one was Jamarcus Russell, who wouldn't start in a, in a flag football league. Okay, so... Carson Wentz is going to play the season. The question is when. And to answer the question, I don't think Bradford gets more than 10 games before, A, the Eagles um, start to say to themselves, what the hell, we might as well play the kid because by all indications, he's pretty smart and he's going to pick things up. B, there's going to be an incredible amount of public pressure on the Eagles to play this guy, not only because there's now this perception of Sam Bradford as a wuss who didn't want to compete for his job and now he's a villain in town, but we all know how Eagles fans react as soon as a quarterback throws an incomplete pass or throws an interception or loses a game. There are always clamoring for the backup, and very rarely is the backup the number two overall pick who you gave up a net of two players and three draft picks to get. So to answer your question, fewer than 10 games, Sam Bradford starting. 
Yeah, I mean, this is just the most disingenuous thing about the whole the whole situation. And you know, I got to think Sam Bradford just rolls his eyes every time. Yeah, he, you know, he I mean, has to. Like, you don't trade up. And, and again, this is the other thing that keeps frustrating me about this topic is everyone kind of writes off the fact that they traded all these picks up for this guy. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not like he fell to them at number eight. This right. is like you don't you don't sacrifice what they sacrificed to get Carson Wentz to to not play him. Yeah, he's not a <laughs> developmental guy. This is as you said. For whenever that started, it started in the NFL where when you get drafted high, you're in there playing. Probably because people realize you need to play to know what you have. And, right, and there's, exactly. There's only so much growing you can... Once you learn the offense, there's not much you can do in practice to grow. Right. I think eight games, seven or eight games, whatever whatever that equates out to. Because I, I have, on my schedule, I circled week nine against the Giants in East Rutherford, the Meadowlands. Because I think that that's a very ideal two game stretch perhaps the most ideal two game stretch other than the first one for a young guy to get his feet wet because you're playing at two you're playing at new york and i think it, it's a benefit to not start at home and then you're playing versus atlanta and those are two of the three worst pass rushing teams in the nfl from last year and that's right before then you have a pretty brutal stretch to end the season with seattle green bay cincinnati washington baltimore i mean those are five above average defenses yeah. right there and and many of whom can rush the passer and guard wide receivers but that being said i think it's interesting look i think that the sam bradford's fate is determined by the three-week stretch at washington versus minnesota at dallas in mm -hmm. week six seven eight because mm -hmm. if you look through the schedule it's week one versus cleveland They're, that's one of the worst defenses yeah. in the nfl uh week two at chicago another another not very good defense I, you know i have the eagles starting two and zero, but then they I think got it's theoretically very likely but then you get the steelers at home and i think that's you know that i know that steelers secondary struggled last year but they can still rush the passer they're still i think sack percentage they're still top third in the league yeah. um and then you have at detroit which we saw what happened last year and i mean that front four with ziggy Ansah and, and company is quite quite potent yes i would say yeah uh so two and two was that what you would have them at yeah or? i would okay. have them at two two the other the other thing to fact to buttress what you're saying is that remember the eagles are going to have new pieces all along their offensive right. line this year so you know there's not going to be a whole lot of continuity and togetherness and cohesion in those first right. few weeks now the thing you can say is that in those first eight weeks they only face one quarterback who you are scared of i would say uh the first seven weeks then, so then you have at Washington versus Minnesota at Dallas. And to me right there, those are the teams where if this Eagles team is the kind of team that Sam Bradford can win with, they're in that group of teams and they need to be able to beat those teams. Right. You know, at Washington versus Minnesota at Dallas. If he goes 3-0 with that stretch, you know, then you can actually start saying, all right, you know, maybe we are playing for, for this season. For right now, right. Uh, but I, it's very tough to see that happening. You know, I'd probably have them losing at Detroit. Um and then maybe versus Minnesota. So then, yeah, I mean, you know, and then Dallas is the kind of the the that's crux of that. Yeah, that's you know? that's a real telltale game. That's a I think, Sunday I night think, game in in put it this way, I think Arlington. I think Sam Bradford's playing for his job at Dallas mm -hmm. on Sunday night, and unless he, I just don't know that this Eagles defense is going to be good enough to stop Tony Romo. They they were barely good enough to stop uh, Brandon Whedon. Yeah, <laughs> and then after that, I think it's uh, I think it's Carson Wentz time. I think that's a very fair answer to that question. What's the next one, John? Well, you answered a bunch of them all at once, but let's let's uh, let's go to this one. Does performance of the offensive line factor in 
to when Carson Wentz becomes the starter. You touched on it a little bit. Maybe go into it for more detail. Sure. Um, I, I think it absolutely does. Um, you know, like I said, I would be skeptical at the beginning of the season because you're bringing in new pieces, Brooks, Wisniewski. Um, you know, is Jason Peters going to be your left tackle? I, you know, he's clearly their, they're really their only choice right now. Um, but who the heck knows what's going to happen in training camp in the preseason. Uh, you've got to at least, I would think, let that settle if you're Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie and making these calls. So, yeah, I think that's a big factor. If, if you know, Bradford's getting hit a dozen times a game and sacked four or five times a game, you know, and is still healthy, then you're going to keep running him out there a little bit longer until the, the line settles in. I completely, yeah, I completely agree. You know, I mean, you have to. For once. Yeah. He's the tackling dummy. Like, he, that, that's, that's their plan is to keep running him out there against these kind of insurmountable odds <laughs> to, to get the stuffing beat out of him, and then everything will coalesce, and then, then it's time for Carson Wentz. I'll say this, too. I, I think a lot depends on how good. I, I think the one wild, if you're looking for a reason why this Eagles team could surprise you and, you know, be a factor this year, I think it's that we don't know really what they have on defense because of all of the variables that they dealt with over the last three years. I mean, if any, and clearly they think Vinny Curry is something, you know, I mean, I'm not a huge Kendricks fan. You know, I think, uh, Hicks is good, but uh, you know, he's not dominant, but if like McLeod, I mean, put it this way. I think, I think, I think McLeod has the, it plays the position to be a difference maker. I don't know him from Adam, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the problem is the Eagles just under Billy Davis ran such a vanilla yeah. preseason type three, four that it was just really tough to tell what you had from a personnel standpoint. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard to tell. I mean, maybe these guys are like the 86 bears and they just had, <laughs> they had, you know, they need the shackles taken yeah, off. Of exactly. them. Yeah. But you know, other than that, saving that, I think week week eight and yes, absolutely. You you look at the performance of the entire team and and you don't want to, you don't want to throw this kid in there and like have the wolves eat him alive. Yeah. So they're two and one going into the bye. It sounds like by your math, probably beat Cleveland, beat the Bears, lose to the Steelers. Okay. Come off the bye. Of the next three games at Detroit, at Washington versus Minnesota. Say they steal one. Mm-hmm. So they're, so three, they're and three. three and three going into Dallas. If they win the game in Dallas, does Sam Bradford keep the job for? Depends. I don't. Sam- I don't. I don't know how long. But the the question that Dave asked is how many games do the Eagles win with a healthy Sam Bradford starting all sixteen? And I want to modify that to say if they win the game in Dallas and are above five hundred going into a stretch of winnable games. Does that potentially keep Bradford in there because they might then have a shot at winning the division? D- depends on how Bradford plays. I mean, it does. Uh, you know, if they lose, there's no chance. You know, or, or you know, he could throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns. And if they lose, it's easy to say, well, we got to go to the kid. If they win and he throws for 150 yards and two interceptions, and they only win because Tony Romo throws for four interceptions then they may go to the kid anyway. I mean, that, that's... <laughs> they're going that, to the kid. They're going to way. the kid one way or another. I mean, the Giants in 04, you know, we, we, we all keep looking back for examples of, to kind of parallel this. The more, maybe the more recent one is the Cleveland Browns in 2014, where they were 7-4 and four 
kind of in spite of Brian Hoyer and then lost a game to go to 7-5 and five, in which Johnny Menzel played a significant part of the second half. They went back to Hoyer the following week. They lost again and then went back to Manziel and played him the rest of the year and realized, uh-oh, we, we whiffed on our, on our first-round pick at quarterback. In 2004, the Giants had Kurt Warner as the stopgap, drafted Eli Manning, and were 6-4 and four when, you know, with a chance at a wild-card spot and decided, you know what, we're going with the kid, and the kid was, was terrible. Eli was, was deer in headlights bad the rest of the year, and they didn't win a single game. So, but in fairness, so is if if you remember the 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 Eagles, it might have been the Eagles might have been the last game that Kurt Warner played in in that season. All I know is I remember you don't talk about deer in headlights. That Giants offensive line was so bad. Yes, Kurt yes. Warner should thank his. He might not have been alive to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Seriously, that, he was. That's true. That, I just remember him. I mean, there was it was against the Eagles. He was in the back of the end zone, and and it just looked like like the the the. Red Sea opened up, or the Dead Sea opened up on the Roman centurions because the Eagles just pummeled the mm-hmm. guy, and it was—you felt bad, and you and you looked at yourself, and you're like, "Man, we were talking about this guy as a potential Hall of Famer a couple of years ago. He looked like the best quarterback in the league, and it turns out if the Giants were just that bad." Yeah, it, I mean, he went to Arizona and was again arguably the best quarterback in the league. But yeah, I think they're playing the kid one way or another. I don't think, unless Bradford has a Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady level season. They're gonna play the kid. But let, yeah, but but let me ask you this, because because how many games do you think they they can win with, with Bradford? Bradford? Yeah. I think they can be an eight and eight, nine and seven team, and that's guessing, not knowing anything about what we just talked about. How Schwartz's scheme opens things up for guys uh, who were already here. How the new acquisitions fit in. You know, who's the running back? Like, who are they giving the ball to at this point? Um, you know, who's he throwing the ball to? Is is Nelson Aguilar actually a player? Is Jordan Matthews going to succeed on the outside? Um, you know, what's the line going to look like? Uh, you know, are they going to be a defense that forces turnovers? I, who the heck knows? Everything is, you know, what kind of coach is Doug Peterson going to be? Uh, yeah, nobody knows anything. But at the same time, I'm not sure Sam Bradford has any options. Does he? In terms of going somewhere else? Yeah. I mean, now he doesn't. I I don't think now he does. No, I think he did. I think he did what he did under the presumption that a team was going to be willing to trade for him, whether that was Denver, whether that was somebody ahead of the draft or during the draft. And Tom Condon must have thought he had somebody. He must have thought he had somebody, and he didn't. It turned out he Whoops. didn't. Now, what that means now, though, is this: is that the Eagles would be dumb to try to trade him now because obviously there's no market for him. But there might be one to open up for him if quarterback X of Team Y suffers an injury during training exactly. camp or in during Four a preseason weeks into game, the season. something like that. Which is interesting well, because I was thinking about this on the train because Tom Condon's still out there, you know, talking as if yeah. Sam Bradford is not planning on playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm very curious, very curious what I would love to be in Sam Bradford's head right now because I think. I really do think that this was an emotional reaction on his part. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was it was very an understandable lo- you know, one, yeah, logical. I mean, he he wanted when he resigned with the Eagles, and he made this clear throughout the season. He made it clear when they traded for him. He made it clear when he people asked him if he wanted to resign. He said, "I want to be somewhere stable." Right. I want to. I want to. You know, I'm. This is the second act of Sam Bradford. I want to. I want to. Mm-hmm. You know, live my life in a one place, and you know, ha- be ha- build something right. with somebody. And I think when the Eagles, you can say he was, he's dumb for not realizing it, but 
I think when the Eagles resigned him, he said, good, you know, this is it. This mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, whatever. It's, it's only two years, but, uh, you know, if I play like I'm capable of, we'll, we'll keep building. And then I think this was the first time he ever considered the fact that that was not going to happen, right. you know, when he heard about this Wentz trade. And, you know, I, I think probably, as you said, you know, the smoke signals played out to a point where Tom Conant at one point had the Denver Broncos saying, yeah, he'll be, he'll be our starter if, if, if you can facilitate, facilitate a trade here. But now, and I think, frankly, they probably still would accept him as a starter. Um, but if you're Sam Bradford, every other, the Eagles are actually probably your best situation. Yeah. Because, you know, Denver drafts, pa- drafts Paxton Lynch. You know, I, I think the Jets maybe might be a... Because a, a, I'm just not a Hackenberg guy. I don't think that Hackenberg... Is is ever going to press anybody for a starting we job? We could we could have a show about what the hell they did. Well, they've got four. The problem is if they sign Fitzpatrick, they'll have four quarterbacks on their roster. But that's a, well, that's the thing. That's the only. I mean, if they do sign Fitz, it, it all comes or down trade to for Bradford. Exactly. Assuming if they did that, which but, I don't think they're going to do. But I was sitting on the train and and I'm, I'm making a list of of teams, and the only ones where he would even be the starter this year would be the Broncos, Jets, and the Niners. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then maybe I mean. And the only ones you could even twist and contort to, to find a way where he would ever be a starter this season would be the Browns and the Bills. But neither one of those teams, both of those teams have, have quarterbacks that they seem perfectly content with mm-hmm. heading into the season. Um, certainly he would face more competition there, I would think, than he will from, from Chase Daniel. So then I started looking at next year and I said, okay, you know, where does this guy go after this ends whenever it is? And that's when things start to get interesting, mm-hmm. you know, because there are, you know, some teams here that any any time now can be looking for quarterbacks. You have the Bears at some point. Cutler yep. is going to wear out his welcome there. And this was kind of what Howie Roseman, I think, was talking about right. when he said there will be demand. I mean, I, I don't think when you look at the aggregate, there is there is what he said there is. But at the top, there's a lot of teams that will be making a transition away from currently entrenched starters. The Bears with Cutler, Lions with Stafford, uh, per, perhaps Cardinals with Palmer, you know, Dolphins even perhaps with Tannehill, Drew Brees, I can't imagine has too much time left in New Orleans. And then, you know, I don't think Tony Romo's done after this year, but he's again, a number of those guys were one more season ending injury and he might just want to call it. So I just don't know that, that Bradford's best option, you know, ironically, after all this, after all this kind of shakes out is Mm -hmm. this, is to stay here, play as well as he can and, and earn that commitment from a team right next off season. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Can I put the Bears higher up that list? You can do whatever you want. Because it's America. Because, well, look, I've been a Jay Cutler skeptic for a good while. I think it's safe to say. And I, if if he doesn't get off to a good start this year, the trade deadline is what November first or thereabouts. See, but you know, here's but the, the point being, this same period that we've talked about about those games against Dallas at Dallas and at the Giants. Mm-hmm is the same time of the year when the Eagles and all these other teams are going to be making this de- these decisions on whether somebody wants them during the season. Go ahead, Murph. It just it does not happen in the NFL where quarterback gets traded. Yeah. Frankly, it, it can't he has no shot to start anywhere at any point this season except for in an extreme, you know, emergency backup role right. if he does not go to report to training camp with that team essentially. Right. I mean, right. you, you he's got a I mean, frankly, he he's putting himself beyond the eight ball here with this team because he he should he you know, needs to learn this offense and learn, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, Josh Freeman is one example. He came in, I mean, he had not played great for the Bucks at the end of his career there, but he was still, people still looked at him as, as you know, this guy's got talent. Yeah. And, and the Vikings brought him in one year 
Um, I forget. It might have been the McNabb year, actually. Yeah, it might have uh, been, or maybe the year after, or something like that. But anyway, they brought him in. He just looked like he'd never thrown a football before yep. because that's how it looks when you get thrown into a new offense. I mean, you, you could spend your entire first week just learning the terminology. Right. Yeah. It's look. He's he, Bradford's in a really tough spot, and. Um, you know, I think it's. I think the, the the situation is so fascinating because there are so many overlapping ways. You know, it's it, none the of them t- are mutually exclusive. Right, that's the thing. That's the thing. And like, I I I can't. You know, it said nobody trades the quarterback in the NFL during the season. I get that. Yeah, but I've lost all benefit of the doubt now with what Howie Roseman will or will not do. So we'll see. But that's my right. point: is that like that's that's what's interesting about it. On the one hand, you have Bradford who overplayed his hand in demanding the trade. Right. But by the same token, I think it's understandable that he reacted the way that he did because the Eagles, for whatever reason, and I have my own theories about this, um, changed their strategy in midstream and it's and took a guy who, whatever you think of him as a quarterback, was never a troublemaker before, and then all of a sudden became an outspoken troublemaker because I think he thinks he got done dirty. So then you have the Eagles responding to that with this kind of whisper campaign about he's not tough and he's a weenie and all this stuff, which I think is ridiculous and they're worthy of criticism for that. But then now you have Condon, you know, continuing to beat the drum instead of just, all right, at this point, Tom, just stay quiet, have your client come in for training camp or even the, the, the mini camps before then and let him play because at this point there's nothing he can do about it. Well, so, it, so here's, what, here's, here's my question. If you're Tom Condon, like what what is the what is the scenario that you recommend pursuing between now and training camp? I mean, what what is the ideal game theory <laughs> move? Uh, if I'm him, I say at this point, I don't know that he has another Bradford has another choice at this point other than to show up, be the good soldier tail between your legs, however you want to put it, uh, and play. And hope that, you know, and plan on playing well enough that if and when the Eagles go to Wentz, you are still a viable quarterback and viably trade bait. Uh, failing that, if I'm Bradford and I feel that strongly about it and I've made that much money, which I have, I've made, what, $78 million before I even got to this season, before the Eagles signed me, would you walk away? I don't know. I don't think he would. I don't think so. Um, would he, you know, on principle or whatever? I, I don't think he would, but I don't know. I don't know what, what other move is there. What do you think? I mean, I don't think there's another move. I think it's fascinating because, as you said, like, it, and it's when you think through this situation, it, you, you can lose yourself in your own mind because, as you said, there's just so many different. For example, I was a big Carson Wentz supporter, mm-hmm. I would say. Before, you were very high on him yeah, before before I even before the possibility that yeah, he was before, went, like trade up to get I, him even I wrote yeah. something in January when I like the Eagles were the furthest thing from my mind that would have any interest or just for the show. So this is all your fault is what you're <laughs> saying. No, <laughs> what, like I, what I'm saying is that like I like I really like Carson Wentz and if he was there, you know, if I was the Browns put it that way, I would have drafted Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. But I also think that the price the Eagles paid is too high for Carson Wentz giving do you know what I'm saying? Yes. So yeah. it's like I'm conflicted there right. where, you know, it, it, we're such binary thinkers, yep. especially in, in this fan base. And it's like, if you say anything about the price for Carson Wentz, you know, 
that means you hate Carson Wentz. Right. And then I just know I'm setting myself up for if Carson Wentz turns into Aaron Rodgers, people are going to come back and say, oh, exactly. you hated Carson Wentz. Oh, what is right. It? Like, well, yeah. I, I, was on, I was on a radio show this morning, Wednesday morning, and felt the need to make the point at the end of the interview, like, look, I, you know, just because I think the Eagle, what the Eagles are telling us about their quarterback plan is baloney doesn't mean that I think Sam Bradford is the second coming of Johnny Unitas. Exactly. Like, the, the two are not mutually exclusive. Like, you know, the, none of this makes Sam Bradford an elite NFL quarterback. All it makes him is, an un, all, he, all he did was have an understandable reaction to what the Eagles did. And a reaction that, frankly, a lot of quarterbacks have had over there. Not in that exact same situation, because again, let's not get, and to me, the, the overarching concern that ties all this together is that whatever you think of, of the ends and how everything ended up shaking out, Normal organizations do not proceed in the right. manner that the Eagles That's right. Did. That's it. I mean, That's you it. can't find any example. You can't compare this to anything because no team has ever acted like this before. They don't go out and give $22 million guaranteed dollars to a guy, you know, parade him in front of a press conference and say, you know, we want this relationship to continue, we, you know, yada, 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 and then trade their... <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I was, it was funny. I was talking about this with, an, with somebody in the newsroom a couple hours ago, and where the Eagles messed this up to me was, okay... Clearly, they signed Bradford. Everybody calls this a stopgap contract inherently exactly. because it was a two-year deal. No, incorrect. They paid him too much money for it to be a stopgap deal. Well, and they framed and they I framed even, it exactly. And they framed it as a guy. Sam Bradford could be the guy if he shows us he can be the guy. I am gonna guess that the Giants who signed Kurt Warner as a stopgap did not sign him, announce a press conference. Did he? I maybe they did. Maybe, but I, I. I the fact is they brought they had Sam Bradford day, you know, right. where this was resolved. The question yes. was, is this marriage going to continue? Is it not? And it was resolved. They yes. said it was going to continue. They framed it as this is us continuing our marriage. We like Sam a lot. Yeah, we'd love to draft a quarterback and develop a guy and get back to what we were doing under Andy Reid. You know, but they never did that. No, that's know, they, right. Kevin Cobb fell to him in the second round. They drafted him. You can argue the wisdom of that, but they never sacrificed future assets that would have helped the current quarterback in order to secure a guy who cost prohibitively will be replacing him at some point. Exactly. Inevitably. Like exactly. there's no, this whole notion that like, well, Sam's afraid of competition and he, all he's got to do is win the job. And everything will take care of itself. No, that's not how it works. No. Like anybody who says that has never been in a work environment where the man, your, your supervisor is invested in somebody else more so than you, you that's know, right. because that's I'm sorry. It's not a merit. Like life's not a meritocracy kids. Like this is, that's <laughs> you're always, it's always the manager's guy. That's going to get the call because you don't make the manager, you know, frankly, if you want to get psychological about it, he, he only has things to lose by letting you play and prove yourself because right. then if you play great, people will say, well, why did you trade all these guys? This guy's, exactly. you know, like, so the, <laughs> it's almost like self-evident that right. what's going to end up happening is right. No. Know? So, so let's, let's go back to that scenario. You hold the press conference, you pay Bradford what you're paying him. You're prepared to move forward. Now to me, this is what the Eagles should have done at that point. Okay. Whatever happened and as I said, I have my theories. I, I personally think, and Rich Hoffman raised this on the podcast last week, and I think I there's agree. a lot of merit to it. I think Jeffrey Lurie got involved for whatever reason, whether it was because he watched the workouts of Carson Wentz and said, I love this kid, let's go get him so we can win Super Bowls, whether it was because he talked to Carson Wentz and said, I love this kid, we can sell jerseys with this kid, which I think is a, is a major underplayed part of this, that the Eagles 
did not have a superstar or even a prospective superstar on their roster before they drafted Carson Wentz. And now everybody is excited about the, the possible franchise quarterback they have, okay? That's a big factor that nothing, nobody ever gets, nobody ever talks about. Because God forbid we treat the NFL like what it is, I've, which is a business. I've talked about it before with the Redskins drafting. Robert you Kirk talk about third. everything before. I've seen it. It's been <laughs> and done. Everything yeah. relates, and of, it all comes back to Washington. There's anyway, plenty of precedent. Okay, for it. so my point is this: if after deciding or getting the edict from Lurie that Carson Wentz is our target and we've got to go get him no matter what. Mike Chilski is fired up, by the way, because he's doing the double finger point. I'm doing the John Kasich. I'm doing the John Kasich karate Stop chopping. Stop pointing at me. <laughs> karate chopping uh, movements from the debate. I'm so, to feel threatened. So if Howie or Jeffrey or Doug had gone to Bradford and said, look, Sam, we've, we're going to have to change our plans. We can't get into why, but we have to. And we're going to trade you because it would be a bad situation for you. It would be a bad situation for us if you were here, which is what it's going to be. It's going to be a bad situation to have Sam Bradford, Chase Daniel, and Carson Wentz on. Why do they Wentz want on. him here? Right. If they had done that and said, we, we, we know this hurts, we're sorry, we're, we've changed our minds, we have a new direction, we're going to trade you, they could have saved face. They could have. Bradford wouldn't have gone public. Condon wouldn't have gone public. The trade would have been made. You go get Carson Wentz. You have your stopgap guy in Chase Daniel, who Doug Peterson trusts. All would have been well. They didn't do that. Not only did they not do that, but they set up this, and again, I come back to it, this whisper campaign where it's not enough that we got to go get the franchise quarterback. We got to make the guy who we just signed for $22 million look like a wuss. So we're going to have Dave Spadaro and some other conduits and vessels in the media drum up this talk. It's not helped by what Tom Comden said on Sirius Satellite Radio after this campaign had already begun, and all of a sudden, now you've got this big fight on your hands, and everybody looks bad. Yeah, I mean, I would would go back even to, first of all, just this whole, whole, I know, that's Bill Pullman and Independence Day. Yeah. I would go back to that press conference. A stopgap guy, if you are planning on this happening, you n- you do not bring him in front of reporters and parade him in front of the press. You say, you know, we think Sam's, Sam's we like Sam, we want to we get another year, a look at him, but, you know, he hasn't been promised anything. You know, we, we think this is a wise investment yep. because we think he has that kind of potential, but he knows he's got to prove it. You know, we're going to continue looking at other options. Essentially, exactly what the Broncos said when they traded for Mark Sanchez, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, here's this guy. I mean, and they still brought him in front of the press, but John Elway was very right. He said, we're we're going to we're going to keep looking. You know, I just think that the Eagles dropped the ball tremendously, you know, not not even necessarily because they were dishonest with the public. But and I don't even know that they were dishonest. But when you're the quarterback and you're Sam Bradford and you're up there, you're the only way to think of you is like, this is, you know, this is my team now. Exactly. This is my team. They, I signed with, with the place I wanted to be. This is my team. They never couched it at all. They never said, you know, we're going to still keep on looking to, to, to find someone better or find the guy that will stick. You know, right. they said none of that. No. And I think that more than and, anything and again, is why and, Sam Bradford is now like shocked that this right. happened because, and again, I was shocked. And the whole time they said, you know, the whole notion that we were honest and you know, we we said we were going to bring a quarterback in. Come on, like yeah, 
that that's that's the thing that everybody you know we, we we get these kind of jumbled arguments and people make analogies that really aren't and comparisons that really aren't apt i don't think bradford would have reacted the way he reacted if the eagles had just drafted a quarterback any quarterback at number eight i agree whether it's Wentz, whether it's Paxton Lynch, whether it's Christian Hackenberg, whether whoever, because that kind of thing happens all the time. You think there's a player there who is the best player on your board, you take him. And that, at that point, the rational response is, that's when he gives the response that everyone thinks or is saying he should have given now, which is, you know, that's fine. You know, I, they, it's that's right. their goal. It's out of my pay grade. But I think this is my team. I'm going to come here. I'm going to show it. And, you know, if it's up to me, I'll help the kid out. But the kid never sees the light of day. Right. Whereas, anyway, go ahead. No, whereas if In you this get, situation, you're a sucker if you say that. Exactly. <laughs> because they gave up so much to get this guy who's going who's gonna to replace you. It shows you that there is no competition. Like, we're all, like, if Sam Bradford says that, if, if Sam Bradford says that in an interview, like, we're all looking at him like crazy on... 80-year-old Uncle Charlie at the Thanksgiving <laughs> table. Like, oh, this is so sad. You yeah. know, like, like this guy's, like, just living in his own fantasy world. Yep. You know, and, and look, whatever. I, I don't want to bring, you know, gender into this or gravitas, but, like, pro I mean, so I'm not going to say, like, as a man, but, like, as, like, a person with pride, yeah. you know, who has always been... This isn't about shirking from competition. No. You know, this is about, like, Dude, if I get up, what am I supposed to say? Look at the position you guys have put me in. Like, if I get up there and act like this is still my team, everyone's looking at me like, oh, look at that, that poor guy, that yeah. fool. You know, then I'm like, people are having sympathy for me. Like, right. oh, he doesn't know what he's, he's, he's living in his own little fantasy world. You That's know, right. like, like, like DeMarco Murray, we look at him like DeMarco Murray did last year when he kept on insisting that he should be having the football. Yeah. Like, just in complete ignorance of reality. Like, Sam Bradford looks, I, don't, I refuse to believe that any self-aware human being would have reacted like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. Like, I, I completely agree. Because you sit up there and you're just like, I know what's going on. How can I, you know, you've almost like emasculated. What's the word for emasculated that is gender neutral? Emasculate. <laughs> emasculate. That's a perfectly fine word. Yeah, that, yeah. It's a perfectly fine right, word. So but you emasculated me. In, in, I, I think it's almost in front of his teammates too, yeah. where it's like, you know, how can he go in there and say, this is my locker room? Like, you know, I don't know. Like you, you heard last year, the, the players all said, you know, it took him a while to to kind of take ownership of this team, and that's it, understandable because he sure. comes to this new situation. The quarterbacks are incumbents, yada yada yada. Yeah, and he finally starts stepping up, and now all of a sudden it's like, how can I, how can I do this and believe my own words? Right. Go ahead, John. When I originally got this list of questions, it was to keep the show focused. You don't have to, you don't have to like <laughs> well, pitch them as questions. I was well, just like. You can just say like I, I'm going to combine. You don't three have to say they're my one. questions. I you could. It's more like a script. I guess. Well, th this one is definitely yours. Right. So I'm going to the, the next one that I ask is definitely yours because it's one that I'm go not even going to subject Mike Sealski to because it would terrify me if I did. Uh, to combine a couple of things you put down here. You are Sam Bradford. You are writing in your journal. <laughs> While you are writing in your journal, yes. Yeah, what bad. music are you listening to? Um. No, and I've no, got one more. This was like the condom question. Right. Where and and while you are writing and while the music is playing, uh, Doug Peterson calls you, and for some reason you pick up the phone. Right. I don't know why, but you pick up the phone. Um. What the hell is going on? All right. And please answer in the first, first all, person and people, begin your response with your diary because that's what you put down. So I'm going to hold you to it. Well, first of all, people are listening to this right now, asking what the hell is going on. So let's let's. Let's back, back this let's up. Let's back up. A, the, the questions were meant to be taken in succession. Yeah. 
first of all, from Doug Peterson's perspective, and this is like the conic question. People are like, what in the world is this guy smoking when he's riding the train down, down to, uh, <laughs> if you're Doug Peterson, how do you, and Sam Bradford says, I show up, he shows up. What do you do? Like, how, how does this blow over? Like, how do you put, put the toothpaste back in the tube? I guess is what I'm asking. I don't know that you can. Let's say those two have a conversation. What, what is that conversation like? What does Bradford say? What does Peterson say? And how does everybody move on beyond it? Because that's, that's no one, no one mentions that. Like, no, what, what I, happens I when he does the, report? I, the, the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head is that Peterson says, this was not me. This was not my call. Yeah. I wanted another quarterback. Yeah. I, I wanted to work with a young quarterback. Um, but we didn't think that we would be able to get Carson Wentz um, and Howie and Jeffrey did what they needed to do, and so he's here. But I'm your coach, and I want to work with you. I think I can get the best out of you, and I think we can help each other here if, if that happens. Um, I think if he takes any ownership of I wanted Carson Wentz, the relationship is is in big trouble. But so, well, he might be the one guy who can save the thing. Right. No, yeah, but I, I don't know if he can cuz you know everyone knows he liked them and, yeah. and you know everyone there's been all these reports that he liked him he was out in North Dakota. You know and if, if Doug yeah. Peterson was an advocate for Sam Bradford there there's a very good chance this deal does not happen. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I think Doug Peterson could have put up a huge fight. But I think Doug Peterson I don't know that Doug Peterson has the cachet. If if it's yeah, if the theory is Mike. is what we're assuming it is that something changed within the power structure of the Eagles. I'm not sure the first year head coach first who, month, first months, month, or, whatever, yeah, six yeah. months head coach has the, has okay. the Ghana's to be able to All change right. people's minds. Regardless, I'm more interested that Sam Bradford at some point has to come to the realization at this point, he almost has to come to the realization that his best move for his career and for 2016 is with the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. How, if you're Sam Bradford, do you approach that? I mean, do you do you say like Doug Peterson says? I mean, he's gonna have to look at his, talk to his teammates. He's gonna have to, you know, like he, he's 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 made it very clear that he does not that he feels betrayed. I'm just thinking of the questions that he's gonna be asked by us, mm-hmm. which is Sam, how can you come back here if you say you know like what, what does he say what, when you he shows up at 9 a.m. first day of minicamp? Look, I'm all right. So I'm Sam Bradford. I'm gonna say look. I'm going to play as hard as I can for as long as they let me play. Um, I respect the hell out of guys like Jordan Matthews and Jason Kelsey and Zach Ertz. Uh, I felt like I developed a good rapport with these guys last year. Um, You know, what happens in the front office, what they decided is out of my control. Is this an ideal situation for me? Quite frankly, no, it's not. Everybody knows that it's not an ideal situation for me. I'm not stupid. I can see what's, what's ahead. But I'm going to play as hard as I can for as long as they let me play. And that's all I can do. And uh, I'm going to hope that that's good enough to get me to a better situation. If that's here, I guess that'd be great. If it's somewhere else, I guess that'd be great too. But the, everything else is out of my hands now. You sound like Tebow after that came in Florida. <laughs> what did he God say? bless. What did he say? I'm going to... No one's going to work hard. No one's, no one's going to work hard. Me. Yeah, no one's going to outwork me. No one's going to work harder. Um, yeah, like if yeah. I... Like, like if I'm Sam Bradford, I think if you say, you know, let's say he talks to his team, you know, I don't even know if it, I think frankly, this, teammates this, are this, fairly, by the way, this, by the way, as an addendum is why 
1998 and 1999, before the Eagles signed Doug Peterson and drafted Donovan McNabb, they traded away Rodney Pete and Bobby Hoying. Right. Not just because those guys weren't good quarterbacks, but because it avoids questions like right. this. Okay? And that's like, frankly, I, I don't know. That, I think that this is the reality that, and this is why I agree with you that it has fi- Lurie's fingerprints all over it, because if you listen to the man speak after he fired Chip Kelly, you were like, holy crap. What reality is this guy living in? Yes. I mean, he's talking about open hearts and open minds. And and, and we are a playoff team that right. only needed to change its head coach to become a playoff team. And it's almost like he's living in this vacuum, yeah. you know, where it's, I mean, the media, we're unavoidable. Like, we're part of it. You know, yeah. like, the, you know, DeMarco Murray, that was a very big storyline last year. And it, frankly, it crept into the locker room yep. a little bit. I mean, I, I think players are fairly resilient. Um, you know, I don't think that, I think most of them take take the point of view that, you know, off season is business. Whatever guys, you know, whatever guys got to do for them, they got to do. And right. then once we're all together, that's when we're teammates. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Yep. Like yep. I don't think anyone begrudges Sam Bradford, but no. I think that Sam Bradford needs to find a way to not feel like the guy, like the guy from Office Space who's been fired, right. but like nobody's told him. You right. know what I'm saying? Like yep. he's he's like he's walking around like no one, everyone who looks. He at can't me, be clutching yeah. his red stapler in the huddle. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like he, he walks in and he's like, wow, all these, it's you, embarrassing. That's he, what it comes down to. You know what to. that is? That was, that's, we should mark that moment. That is the first time we have connected on a pop culture yes. reference since we started this it's podcast. Right, it's from a movie that like is like in that little concentric yes. shaded area. Of in the, the Venn diagram of yeah. our pop culture references that there is an overlap with the office. Look at space. that. How I, about it? Now you still have to, I'm still waiting for the one that you might've already dropped it. And I was just no, I didn't, right. I didn't, no. We got to get that sponsor. If we get anything on this, I want I want it to be Dave's word of the day and the Mike Sealski dated pop culture reference of the day. Yes, which again, it's more about me not not being in tune with anything before my, (laughs) but but whatever. Right. So So I think Sam Bradford, like, I'm just psychologically putting myself in his head. What can I do to save a little bit of face and put myself psychologically where I need to be in order to to be a starting quarterback for a football team. And you know, I think, I think I would just get up there and say, "Look, I reacted. I when I when I resigned here, I wasn't thinking. I told you guys I wasn't thinking about the contract. I wasn't thinking about the years. Right. I told my agent after the off season, I want to be in Philadelphia. Just get the best possible deal mm-hmm. and let's go to work. I did that, and I never thought to ask, "Are you going to trade?" The it never 13. crossed my it never, it never crossed, crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind. This scenario never crossed my mind. I never anticipated that they viewed me as nothing more than a stop guy, gap guy. I thought that I would have the opportunity to to prove myself and and frankly I saw myself finishing my career in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to I believed that with the team we have here, I could I could get to that point. And, and, you know, we could move forward. And I thought that we were all on the same page based on the conversations that I had with Doug and Howie and Jeffrey after the season. So naturally, when this happened, you know, I reacted. I reacted the way I reacted. I was, I was more discouraged than anything because mm-hmm. I want to be a place where I can be long term. But, you know, it was, you know, it was emotional. I needed some time away. More than anything, I just needed some time to clear my head. I needed to get my mind right so that I can give... If I was going to be here, I wanted to be able to give 100% to this team. And I needed to take a, take a few days away to clear my head, to get myself in a spot where I can do that. Now, I'm ready. You know, we've, we've, I still disagree with the decision, but I think Carson Wentz has a promising future. I will do everything in my power to be a good teammate to him. And I will do everything in my power to, frankly, keep him right. on the sidelines. You know, I think we have a good team here. We can be a playoff team here. And, 
you know, that's where that's where my head's at right now. You know, I've talked to the I've talked to the team, talked to the guys. I'm ready to go, and I'm not going to answer any more questions about it for the rest of the season. <laughs> Seriously, that, yeah, that's that's, that, that's a good. I mean, that's that's a good way to approach it. It's interesting because the, this debate. One of the interesting parts of this debate always is, and I, I mentioned this to somebody on Twitter the other day, is that, and I think you fall into the same category too, which is that in the way we cover, and by we, I generally mean the people who are at independent, non-rights-sharing media entities. Which is basically almost nobody. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the Inquirer, the Daily News, and Philly.com, you know, and there's some gray area there. But anyway, the point is, we are not emotionally invested in either the Eagles success or in Sam Bradford's success. We're trying to, st we generally kind of try to take a step back and look at this and say, okay, this happened. Was this a good thing from a strategic standpoint that the Eagles or Sam Bradford did? Was it a good thing from a honesty standpoint that the Eagles or Sam Bradford did? No, a number of people who cover the team and millions of people in the Delaware Valley who follow the team don't look at it that way. They are emotionally invested in the success of the Eagles. So therefore, the idea of Sam Bradford having to uh, say what Murph just said, you know, is viewed like, oh, okay, great. Now the Eagles can move on or, ha, ah, Sam, the team stuck it to you or uh, this is what the team needs so that they can move forward and try to compete for a championship. And... That part of it kind of, you know, over the last couple of weeks has been fascinating to me to watch how much that colors everybody's viewpoint of this, of like, he should be down with the team. He should be good with the team. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, there's some factors at work here that might cause somebody to not think that way and might cause someone to react the very way that Sam Bradford reacted. And frankly, let's keep in mind that at first, he, he didn't come out right away and at the first report I read was Sam Bradford has not asked for a trade or something like right. that. And then you, you got the sense that like he had a bird in hand and Condon was now Condon was like, all right, now it's go time. You know, if we're going to mm -hmm. do this, we need to do this now. Yeah. You know, I'm going to start the media campaign. And there was a very short window of time for, you know, that to happen. You know, the, the Eagles, I think personally, and this gets back to some of the pettiness we've seen out of the Eagles over the years. I, I, th I think that it would have been the wisest thing for the team to trade Bradford. But yeah. I think that they were, I would not be surprised if they refused to trade Bradford, not because that was the best thing to do from the team standpoint, but because they knew he would have a chance to win a Super Bowl in Denver. Mm -hmm. And I mean, let's keep in mind the, the Denver Broncos, and this goes kind of undermines the whole notion of your quarterback is the only thing that matters when it comes to winning a Super Bowl. Right. They, 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 they want to, the Denver Broncos want a quarterback with a quarterback who could not throw <laughs> the football last year. Yeah. Like almost literally. Yeah. And you know, that Sam Bradford, I would much rather put it this way. If, if you tell me you'd rather have 2016 Sam Bradford, 2006 or 2015 Sam Bradford, 2015 Peyton Manning. I think the Denver Broncos teams are Denver Broncos are a better team with 2015 Sam Bradford. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the Eagles look at it like, Oh my goodness. If, Carson Wentz struggles as a rookie and Sam Bradford goes to Denver and mm -hmm. wins a Super Bowl mm -hmm. and he's at at Disney World riding on a float. Yeah. We could like lose the entire market. Yep. You know? Yeah. Like that's the fascinating thing. To it me. is. It is. All of it is fat. I mean, it's just and how much your emotion plays into it like and we talked about this on the podcast last week like the lack of sympathy that 
people in and around Philadelphia have because Sam Bradford is going to make $18 million this year, and yet their complete allegiance to the multi-billion dollar franchise. I mean, if you're going to wear your Bernie Sanders badge and your class warfare badge, like, try to be consistent about well, it. Then, and then, like, you even wonder how much that played into their decision to re-sign him in the first place. Right. Where, like, if they're like, wow, you know, Denver might lose Osweiler if they sign Sam Bradford. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, as you have said, and it's kind of ironic, you know, again, given given your your leanings on the whole class warfare thing, how we, we always sign, we, we always seem to side with. I I didn't want to put political words in your mouth. No, it's okay. But I mean, like you're 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 more. I'm relatively conservative. Yeah, yeah. you're relatively conservative. I'm a free market guy. Yeah, like yeah, you're a very free market guy. Um, we always side on the, we always side with the capitalists. I feel like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not even necessarily just the team. Yeah, you know, or just just in the sports world, but. You know, we side with like, look, Howie Roseman. Why are why why do they get the benefit of the doubt? Right. Essentially, you've said this before. Yeah. You know, Sam Bradford's making fifteen. Sam Bradford's made a lot of money in his career. Yes. Jeffrey Lurie's made a whole lot more for doing a whole lot less on his own. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Why? Like, why? Why does Sam Brad? Why does Jeffrey Lurie have more, more? of a right to dictate Sam Bradford's future than Sam Bradford has right. to dictate and, his own future. And to, because and, they're both rich. And, and to take it to the even more, a little bit in the political realm, I view Lurie and the Eagles and really the entire NFL as a function of crony capitalism. Yeah. The idea that they have, they have the only market available and they control everything. And the only way that a guy like Bradford um, can get quote unquote satisfaction is to make a power play like he, like he tried to make. It didn't work out. But I understand why he made it, and I understand why he reacted the way that he reacted. And again, you know, insert disclaimer here, this does not mean he's a great quarterback. I'm not suggesting he's a great quarterback, because every time we praise Sam Bradford or defend Sam Bradford or refer to Sam Bradford as something than the, other than the Antichrist, you get accused of saying he's great. He's not great, okay? But I understand why he did what he did. He has pride. He wants a better situation for himself. That's what everybody wants. I guess what I'm asking is, can this be salvaged? I don't think it can. So what unless, ha- unless Bradford like throws himself at the mercy of the Eagles and says, I will be a great teammate and I will do what you ask me to do and you know, I will be the best teammate and the best quarterback I can be and when you guys decide Carson Wentz is going to play, I say, thank you for the opportunity, everybody, and then I go take my I seat guess, on the bench. I guess that's what I'm saying he, he almost needs to do because yeah. this is one of the – it's such a fascinating fascinating. You know, we've already said why it's so fascinating. But fascinating, fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating. The sea is silent. <laughs> there you go, Jonathan Tannewald. What do you have to say about this? I have no idea. Okay, well, what I was about to say is that it's fascinating because you look at it from Sam Bradford's perspective and you're like, man, he's got no better options. Right. But then you just said, but it can't be salvaged. I mean, there's, Sam, I don't think Sam Bradford's going to sit out for a year of football. You know, I at least Carson Palmer had taken it can the be salvaged. It, it can be salvaged if... Circumstances change if the situation changes, if there's an injury somewhere else, um, and if Bradford, the, the salvaging is going to come. I'm talking if, about the like, like oh, the relationship he, between Bradford yeah, like, and can, the team. Can uh, he can he start for the Philadelphia Eagles this year? I think he can. Yes, okay. I just don't think he's going to start very long. If that makes sense, it depends on what you mean by salvaging the relationship. Well, I mean, so where he, he could salvage, for, the, he good, can salvage the relationship. For a while, and then they're going to decide to play Carson Wentz, and right, then me, it's not going to be salvaged anymore. Well, let me put it a different way: Is there a scenario in which the optimal outcome for all parties actually ends up happening? Because to me, the optimal outcome right now for both parties is to go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. But we've already talked about how that's just 
there's not an opportunity for that because anywhere Sam Bradford goes is probably going to be a less opportune situation than here, at least in terms of the long but, term. But you could argue that the optimal uh, outcome for both parties that doesn't involve a trade is far, far less likely to happen than even the unlikely scenario that a trade market opens up for him. Mm -hmm. You know, in that he comes in, says, I'll do whatever you guys ask me to do, goes out and throws seven touchdown passes every week. They go 16-0, and then win the three playoff games, win the Super Bowl. That's the optimum scenario. And anything short of that, I think the Eagles are going to end up deciding to play Carson Wentz at some point this season, and then Sam but, Bradford is where? But I'm talking about before, in between now and the start of the season, mm -hmm. when does this get resolved? I mean, it can't, it is not good for, this can't be hanging over their heads this entire time, can it? This is oh, the Eagles yes, we're talking can. about. Oh, yes, it can. Because if it, hang, if it hangs I'll, over their heads, to your point earlier about selling jerseys, it puts them right smack the middle of the Inquirer and Daily News and WIP and CSN and everybody else every day. I got a text message today from a former NFL executive, and he said to me, I sincerely don't know whether the Eagles would want Bradford to play well for them or not. Yeah. And that's the key. That gets right to what John said. Because if he plays well, you're not see, the fans aren't seeing Carson Wentz and the Eagles aren't seeing Carson Wentz. If he doesn't play well, then they're losing games, but then the Eagles get to play their guy. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess why I'm asking is because I don't think how I, I don't think the Eagles are bluffing when they, you know, ask for whatever exorbitant asking price they ask for because right. I think that they they value and frankly, if Denver's only offering a third or a fourth round pick, say, you know, from a self-preservation standpoint, it's probably worth not not eating, not getting that pick in order to prevent him from winning a Super Bowl somewhere else. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. that's I've the, thought of that. That more is the than elephant. Once. That's yeah. the elephant yeah. in the room. Is that Denver's a whoever is that quarterback? Denver's probably going to be one of the preseason favorites to win the Super Bowl because yeah. that is it is such a good team. And and, and Peyton Manning was that unimpressive. And the year. calculus in terms of what the other teams in this parlay are include Chip Kelly's team and the Dallas Cowboys. Right. Do you want him going to those teams and playing well? Right. Yeah, I don't think the Cowboys are necessarily... I mean, they still have Tony Romo, right? As Romo's successor. Oh, well, I'm talking about just this year. Because, yeah. again, as that NFL executive... Well, Jones is off... Jerry Jones could also, if Romo gets hurt again, who, who, who knows? Right, but we're t I'm talking but about the, between now and the start of, of say, yes. training camp. Because so, at some point, this has to, something, something has to give is what I'm saying. But the 49ers, I think, are certainly one of the potential trade partners that I would imagine they I will not deal with. I, I, they won't deal with them. Oh, no, I, I've, I've got... I've gotten the sense that Sam Bradford was not a huge Chip Kelly fan. I think he could kind of take him or leave him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's just what I've you know, well, heard. Let, let, me, let me ask this. And I don't cover the team, so I don't get down. I mean, I haven't been down to NovaCare for a press conference in six or seven years maybe. But maybe one of you two guys or Zach or Jeff or Les or Paul, whoever it may be, might ask this question of Howie at some point if he, next time he gets in front of a microphone. Are you saying we don't know how to do our jobs? Oh, I think you do, but this is just something that I want. I'm kidding. The, the question to Howie Roseman, phrased very specifically, would be, when Sam Bradford comes back, what do you want from him? What do you, I mean, that, I, yeah, I don't know that that's because, that specific. Because, I think they'll I say, know. we just want Sam to be the guy we know he can be. But because what I want to know is if anywhere in that answer is to win football games. Yeah, he would well, obviously gonna say, say that. that yeah. But, but, but. Just because they say that doesn't mean that that's what they really want. For the same reason that they're saying we're going to have open competition among Bradford, Daniel, and Wentz, it's not an open competition. 
It's going to be Wentz's job. The question is when. And there's nothing Bradford can do about that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all Howie has to, Howie can dance around that question. I think the question that, that we've batted around and it needs to be asked is, what changed your timeline and what changed your philosophy, Howie Roseman? Remember, as Rich Hoffman pointed out last week, Howie Roseman was always, always the let's get more picks guy. Let's move down to get more shots, more arrows in the quiver to see if we can hit the bull so we have more chances to hit the bullseye. He was not the surrender all these picks to get one guy who may or may not work out. Right. But let's but again, all right, so so regardless of regardless of, of all of that. At some point, this has to end, mm-hmm. and this is the only options are Sam Bradford plays for the Eagles, the Eagles trade Sam Bradford, or Sam Bradford sets out the season. Right? There's no other. Those are the only three options we're dealing with. I, I, the more I, the more I think about it, the more I think the Eagles are not trading Sam Bradford. I, that's completely opposite of where I was mm. a week ago because I was still assuming that they were going to re- act in a rational manner and prioritize the strength of their football team. <laughs> I don't think that they're going to do that. I think that. You know, pride is very much at stake here. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't have Sam Bradford go somewhere else. And that only adds the pressure on your rookie quarterback. But at the same time, you also can't. So so what do you do? I mean, if you're Sam Bradford, when does this end? That's all I want to know. You can't have it hanging over your head all season. You, You just can't. It's just it's not it's not it's a horrible way to put your rookie quarterback a horrible situation to put your rookie quarterback into, you know, unless you just like go Joe Paterno and ban him from ban all rookies <laughs> from talking to the media. But he's going to be asked that every single, single time. Day. I mean, yeah, like we're not that inventive. <laughs> we're not. We just, we um, ask the, we ask questions over and over and over again. Yeah, but it's a I, reality. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it ends in the sense that they play Bradford. He's mediocre. He acknowledges he's mediocre. He gets benched for Carson Wentz. What happened? The, the thing that everybody anticipated was going to happen happens, and that's it. But and when does he come back? I guess is what I'm saying. Like when does this, when does he come back, or when does he get traded, or when does like he just set out the season? I think he comes back to training camp. Okay. I think he comes back for training camp, um, and I think it's possible during training camp that he gets traded. Um, I think it'd be unlikely, and it gets more. It gets less and less likely with each passing day once once uh, the beginning of August rolls around. Um, and then we see. I, I w- look, anything can happen at this point. It would not surprise me. It honestly would not surprise me if they decide week one Carson Wentz is the guy. We're just going to go with Carson. Be- for the very reasons that you said, Murph, what, what, what's Sam going to do? Right. What, what option does he have? You know, we're not going to trade him for reasons of... See, I think Chase Daniel would be the guy. I think, I think, I think they would react... If it ever gets to that point, I think they would make Sam Bradford your third string quarterback, deactivate him every week, you know, bring a practice maybe make, bring okay. a practice squad guy in and, and start Chase Daniel at least, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah, no, maybe you're right. I it mean, it just sounds like they're very, and it, it just sounds like they have a they've they've for whatever reason they built this world that they envisioned this entire thing playing out in, and one one piece of that world was Sam Bradford's going to be happy to start. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, and, like they, I totally believe that they did not draft Carson Wentz. I, they drafted Carson Wentz, hoping that, you know, in a perfect world, Sam Bradford plays good enough that the fans aren't clamoring for Carson Wentz, you know, throughout the entire season, you mm-hmm. know, and then maybe late in the season, like Donovan. I think I think they've like unhealthily decided that they need to re- replicate every step that they took 
in 99 right. moving forward. You know, and a part of that is is maybe working, having some packages for Carson Wentz in there. You know, I think he pl- maybe plays a little bit. But Could be. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a mess. I've been thinking about this all the way through the show, and I'm going to say week three. Oh. Um, Bradford plays against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Bradford plays the Monday night game in Chicago. Okay. Do they win that game? I don't know. If they lose it, then Wentz certainly plays at some point against the Steelers. Steelers come in, are probably winning that game. People are annoyed because it's the Steelers, and there's probably going to be a half-decent number of Steelers fans in the building, and their defense is going to be chasing after Bradford all over the place. And by the end of that game, Wentz is playing. Yeah, I mean it's fair. I don't. I don't discount anything. Yeah. Look, we got to get the Ken Rosenthal. I think at yeah. some point. Yes. I just want to say one more thing. We've been on the show for Where almost an hour and a half. So. I heard somebody. It has been hinted at, but I don't know that anybody's actually come out and said it until I read it at some point. One of the national guys, I think, said mm-hmm. it. They referred to Doug Peterson as a quarterback guru. guru. Where, wh- Where yeah. did this notion come from that like Doug Peterson? Let's this guy. Keep in mind, this guy was until 2008 was coaching high school football. Yeah. So it didn't happen before 2008. Since then, he's worked with Kevin Cobb. Nick Foles, Donovan, Mike Kafka, Alex Smith, Alex Smith, Chase, Chase Daniel. Daniel, Brody Croyle, and now Kevin Hogan. I don't think I'm missing anybody. I don't think so either. Where, like, where, where did this notion of? And before that, he was a career, you know, slopper, yeah. you know, backup. Like, yeah. where did this notion as Doug you tell Peterson me. quarterback guru? Where, where did from? the where did the notion that that there was this nationwide hatred for cam newton come from before the super bowl yeah you know no, you're right that was complete bumpers. you know it just i know this because i do hate cam newton and i'm the <laughs> only one and i am the only one, i am constantly being yelled at for it. i don't hate him per, i i think the personality stuff is bull crap i yeah. just i don't like him as a okay, quarterback all right can we get to uh, a bigger name yeah. than cam newton ken yes. rosenthal yeah we need to we need to talk about this phillies team because they've they've knocked the socks off the entire market. People are into the Phillies again. I they think are. that's it's, it's they absolutely are. And the summer is much more fun, we all agree, when you have something to watch of consequence every night. I still disagree that they're necessarily a fun team to watch. I like watching the pitchers. Um, you know, I like watching Adubel Herrera, but you know, I like watching runs too. Yeah. But one guy who can give us some perspective on all things Phillies and and where the trajectory of this rebuild is at this point in time is Ken Rosenthal, Fox Sports Insider, MLB Network star. And uh, dugout, you, cur, dugout, uh, bow tie master, dugout gargoyle, University of Pennsylvania alumnus, dugout, ba- balancing the show, which I'm. Happy you will about. find him creeping around a camera well at your nationally <laughs> televised baseball game somewhere sometime this summer. It's Ken Rosenthal, Fox Sports Insider. Before we get started with Ken, one quick note: there were some pings and other background noises from his computer during the interview that we couldn't do anything about when they popped up. So don't be surprised. Uh, and thanks for the understanding. Now, back to the show. We welcome in Ken Rosenthal, the insider of all insiders, our favorite insider here at Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. Ken, what do you think of this Phillies team? Surprised. Are you? you? Surprised? We're all surprised. What did, but, you, what did you have them at going into the season, uh, win-wise? I mean, what, what kind of team did you think this would be? Did you think the worst team in Major League Baseball, or did you think they might have a shot at not being that? I didn't know that they would be the worst team, but certainly they had a chance to be, in my view. With these rebuilding clubs, you never quite know what exactly is going to happen. Actually, with all clubs, you never know exactly what's going to happen. But I certainly didn't see them even having a 16-11 and stretch 
really at any point during the season necessarily, much less to start it. And the one thing I think no one anticipated was how well their young pitchers would do, and that is what has carried them so far. Can articulate, if you can, kind of the the jump that the Phillies have made, because there were many of us around the country and certainly in the market, Murph and I included, who really thought they were going to be in for a long, really kind of torturous rebuild, and they seem to have... Um, accelerated that in a way that's been surprising, I think, to a lot of people. Um, kind of, like I said, take us from where they were maybe a year or two ago and how bleak things seem to where they are now. Well, the trade certainly helped. And the Texas trade in particular brought them a number of good players. You're seeing Ikoff now. We're going to see others. So that combined with some of the players that they already had in the system that are coming on, like Crawford, like Nola at the major league level. Then you have the Ken Giles trade with Velasquez coming over. A lot of good things have happened. And from that perspective, they are a little further along. And they've got pitching, which distinguishes them from some of the other rebuilding clubs, Milwaukee in particular right now. But even Atlanta's pitching is not fully settled and a certainty by any stretch. So they're in good shape. And I think when we look back at this period, we're going to look back at Ruben Amaro Jr. as actually having put some good pieces in place toward the end of his regime, and the Giles trade perhaps as being a really good trade for the new front office led, of course, by Matt Plantac. You, you had a piece on FoxSports.com Wednesday morning, I think that's when it went online, about Bob McClure, the Phillies pitching coach, and it began with a really interesting anecdote um, from his time with the Kansas City Royals and a conversation he had with Zach Greinke. If you could just relay that um, and what you think McClure has done to to help the young pitching on the Phillies staff. Well, the Greinke anecdote is something that obviously I wrote because it was interesting, but I know people out there who read about baseball love reading about Greinke, so I knew that was a good way to draw in people, (laughs) I hoped at least, to a story about a pitching coach who's 64 years old, who is not someone that is a horribly sexy name. So the the anecdote went like this. Basically, Greinke, first day he is with Bob McClure in 2006 spring training, says, all right, listen, there are three things you need to know as my pitching coach. I never throw a changeup. I never throw a two-seam fastball, the sinker, and I don't talk to pitching coaches. And the reason this anecdote made sense for the story, which was not about Greinke, was simply that McClure took it so well. He's like, that's fine. You don't talk to your pitching coach, that's fine, but you're going to need a changeup, you're going to need a two-seamer, because fastball slider is not going to cut it. And that is kind of the way McClure is. He is an old-school guy in some ways, but yet he's incredibly easygoing. And he has a way, from what people tell me, of connecting with young pitchers and, of course, that's critical for the Phillies right now with where they are in their evolution. Ken, take us back to that Ken Giles trade. Obviously, he has not gotten off to the start that he would have wanted in Houston. And, let's I mean, let's keep in mind he got off to a little bit of a slow start last year, at least with regards to his velocity. But there will be people in Philadelphia who look at this trade and say, what was Houston thinking? Vince Velasquez is already better than Ken Giles straight up. What would you say to them? It's a good question is what I would say to that, David. (laughs) The one question I have with this trade now looking at it, and really it's way early to judge it. It's one month. 
and I expect Giles will straighten out. I don't know that Velasquez will stay this good, but maybe he will. But the one thing I wonder about, Houston needed a hard-throwing reliever. That's why they traded for Ken Giles. Velasquez could have been that guy. And beyond that, right now, the other thing that Houston needs, even more desperately or as desperately as it needed a hard-throwing reliever, is a hard-throwing starter. Their average velocity, average fastball velocity in the rotation is the lowest in the majors. So Vince Velasquez in that rotation would be perfect, particularly with Lance McCullers coming off the DL soon. That's why they're so low. Their one hard thrower has been hurt. But if you look at it right now, as well as Velasquez has done, as good as he looks, it's hard to imagine that this is going to be a good trade for the Astros. I just warn that I get sucked in like a lot of us in judging these things too soon, and they can turn. Ken, there's a lot of big names coming up on the free agent market, and the Phillies are clearly in need of some offense, uh, especially if they go ahead and draft a pitcher at number one overall. Coming up, how quickly do you think this team can add veteran bats or power bats? Or yeah, I mean, you hear Harper in a couple of years, but even before then, do you think there's a chance this team can add a couple pieces this offseason and maybe push for 500 next year? Or do you think this is still a couple of years away uh, given the free agent market and the money that all teams have to resign their guys? I would say there's a chance that they could do something. In fact, I was wondering last offseason if they were going to maybe jump in on a younger free agent like a Justin Upton, simply to have him in place as the younger guys grew. The problem they're going to face, at least in the next two offseasons, is that the market isn't great. There aren't a lot of great players becoming available. But that market after 18 is ridiculously great. It's going to be the greatest free agent class in history. Harper, Machado, Donaldson, five or six other guys Belt, as well. Belt, Hosmer. Yeah, you can keep going. So it's going to be a really intriguing group. And the question is, will they be in position to contend before then? I would say there's a chance that they will be, maybe even a good chance. So they may need to be creative it may be taking on a contract that another team doesn't want, or they may need to jump out and sign an older free agent. Bautista and Encarnacion are coming available this winter. So I'm not sure exactly how it's going to proceed, and we have to see how the season plays out. I don't expect them, even now, to finish 500. They've got the negative run differential. They're going to wear out a little bit, and they don't have much offense. But this has been encouraging, I would imagine, for their fans Simply to see some hope here so quickly. Ken, last one from, from me. Uh, Pete McCannon is getting a lot of praise around here, and I guess rightfully so because of the way he's handling this young club. He seems to um, you know, have added some enthusiasm from the manager position if such a thing is possible. Um, how much credit, if any, do you give to him and maybe the environment he's creating and the guy he is in, in kind of allowing – uh, this young team to grow in the way it has so far this year? I do give a manager credit when this kind of thing happens. And I know there are people who say it's all about performance and chemistry doesn't matter. I work with a few of those people at MLB Network, in fact. But I don't believe that. And from what I understand, talking to some people, the vibe that he has set and created, along with McClure and the other coaches, is kind of a relaxed vibe and not – just go out and do whatever you want, but let the players breathe. Don't dictate to them. Just coach them, and that's a healthy thing. Now, does it mean Pete McCann is their manager for the next 10 years? I don't know that, but 
it seems, at least right now, that he was and is the right person at the right time. So that was Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports and MLB Network and a guy who I've known for other reasons for a while, as, as Mike knows pretty well. Uh, since I've done a couple journalism conferences with him and so forth, and we might also share an alma mater, but that's, you know, you that's guys are also a, really short. Yes. Yeah, we are, we are both really short. You pick you both up, put it in your pocket. Well, Michael, I mean, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, what do you think? What Ken had to say? Was it surprising you at all? No, not really. I think I think everybody in baseball kind of shares his thoughts on the Phillies, which I think are everybody's thoughts on the Phillies, which is this is really exciting and surprising in that the pitching has been much much better than anybody anticipated. And it's great that they got off to the start, and nobody thinks they can sustain it because they're not scoring any runs. Um, and as Ken said, the pitching is going to come back down to earth, you know, somewhat eventually. They can't keep pitching at this pace. They have six shutouts in 27 games. Um, but yeah, they, they've they've got something going here, and maybe things will be the rebuild will be faster than people anticipated. Yeah, it's it's interesting with regards to to the to the rebuild. I've been very surprised at how in check people people have kept themselves my buddy bill texts me every day and says he thinks the phillies are going to win the world series but <laughs> i believe he's joking um although i did bet him once that nick Foles would never win a super bowl in philadelphia oh good, good you know what, hopefully, hopefully for a good amount of money do you know what the stakes were uh i hope a bottle of johnny walker i was blue. Go, i was going to have to get nick Foles jersey tattooed on my back if, oh my god <laughs> Oh my God! So it wasn't even a bet. I told him. I said, "I said I don't even want you." He's like, "No, well, what? What if he does?" I'm like, "He's not going to." Like, I don't even want to. Like, it's I. That is how confident I am. Anyway, I got I got this question for you guys. Well, wait, yeah. Wait, one second. Let me complete the thought that I never yeah. even actually started. Um. <laughs> that that is the motto of this show. Let me complete this thought that I never actually started. So I, I've been very surprised at how how in check the fan base has kept its expectations, but. I mean, the natural, as Ken said, the natural curiosity is when when do they start spending a little money? Yeah. And, and that they're somewhat beholden to the market, obviously. As Ken said, there was some thought that maybe, you know, you can make an argument they should go after Jason Hayward this offseason, Justin Upton this offseason. I think neither one of those two are the kind of guy you want to start no. going after. Be, no. Because you got to keep in mind, you can only have, you know, one $200 million contract on your, exactly. on your books. The question is, when do they start, like, bringing in a, I don't know. 2016 version of Marlon Bird from three years ago or right. you know like somebody who's better than David Lowe put it right. that way right yeah that's a good question and um, I don't think they're there yet uh, I think I think it's one of the dangers maybe of what the good start is is that it can and I don't think this will happen with Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail that it could warp their thinking into how good they really are um, about how good they really are I don't think that's going to happen yet I don't think one 16 and 11 stretch is going to lead to that um, so I would be very surprised that they made, you know, an in-season move like that at all, or even anything next off season. Um, I do think though, you, you've got to get a little more, you know, it, at the end of the year, you take stock of what you've learned about what you have. If Peter Borjos hits 165 the whole year, okay, now, you know, like he's not a major league hitter. You, you use him as the fifth outfielder for defense, and then you've got to go out and find somebody and see what the market is and maybe not go 200 million for a guy like Hayward, but wait another year and go 200 or 250 million for somebody else who's in that big free agent class that you can get. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think this summer, I mean, if you were to, if you were to game plan this summer, I think they struggle May at some point they're going to have a very, very tough month yes. because you just can't keep, you can't keep winning games when you score like this. It's just statistically impossible over a large enough sample size. But once they do, I think that's when you start seeing maybe, you know, some of these guys 
cycling in from double and triple a not 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 the nick williams of the world but maybe like the scott kingeries the Mm -hmm. you know maybe even andrew knapps maybe the you know right whoever can play second base shortstop you know i guess yeah just throw a guy in there to see what happens does he hit better than david huff does he hit better than peter borgios and if he does great then he'll keep the spot for a while that you called him david huff that's great did I? What did I say? Uh, David Huff. Huff. His name is Low. Low. But David it's spelled Lowe. like Huff. Yeah. And I think there right. is a Huff, David Huff, yeah. so, in some sport somewhere. There's a Josh Huff, but not for much longer. There's a Charlie Huff. Yeah, there's, he there's a, a knuckleball. <laughs> there's, there's a Huff not and a, Puff. <laughs> I got this question for you. Okay. Is it, you know, we talk about when the right time is going to be for the Phillies window to sort of reopen again and for them to jump through it with a big signing that to defenestrate themselves. Yes, to def- to literally, <laughs> we finally have the like, that's we've the perfect come, meaning, perfect yes, occasion we, to use that. We've word. nailed defenestrate, and we've got a new name for the show. It's a perfect day for us so far. What I wonder is, David at Huff what point just defenestrated? <laughs> at what point in his pants? <laughs> <God>. <laughs> At what point, John, are you going to get the rest of this question out? When he allows me to. At what point do the Mets and the Nationals start coming back down to earth, which might also allow the Phillies to take a step up? Uh, I mean, it's a great question. I think a lot depends on – I think, too, as as Ken said, and this was – the 2018 is kind of the – like, there's going to be a lot of stuff that changes in baseball. Frankly, it's going to be very interesting to see what changes this offseason with the CBA. Yeah. That's the first big step. I'm not sure that you can really project – anything that's going to happen until you find out exactly how they how teams are going to be spending money. I think there's a very good chance that this could turn into a bit more of a protracted battle than, mm-hmm. than people think just because of the amount of money that has flowed into the game over the last five years, 2018, there's a crop of guys that is just remarkable. Yeah. I mean, you just, you take your pick. I mean, Put Bryce Harper, exactly. the game's so, best so, player, who, aside. So that's well, I don't, don't, don't want to put him aside. But listen, for, this, yeah. So Bryce Harper is kind of the keystone on which all of that presses together, and he he's the first kind of domino I think that has to fall mm. before you start really to, because if Bryce Harper leaves, then which a lot of people think he will, that's when the Nationals fall off a cliff. They could have a very tough time of it in yeah. 2018 if the, he resigns. I think they're always going to find a way to, to, to be a contender just because you, you know, don't waste a player. Like and they ha- they still yeah. have they still have a guy named Lucas Giolito who's one of the top prospect top pitching prospects in baseball. They they they've got you know they've got depth as long as you got pitching depth. The Mets are more of an interesting story. I would argue they should have been spending money now three or four years yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean they they've waited. They, I mean Matt Harvey's already in arbitration. He's mm-hmm. already a couple of years away from from free agency. And that to me like that this was their greatest window. This is a lot like I, I think the Mets are repeating the mistake. Of, of the Phillies, uh, you know, kind of the, ir- the sad irony of the whole Phillies rise and fall was that if they would have compressed those two windows, their pitching dominant window when they spent a lot of money and then and, and matched it up to be in the prime of Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard, mm-hmm. you're talking about a team that, yep. that was Yankee, you know, mid 90s Yankees yep. type dominant. Yep. Unfortunately, they waited until right. all those guys start to get expensive and getting old to start spending money on pitching, and it just never matched up. And I feel like that the Mets have missed their opportunity. Right, because they've got Syndergaard cheap, they've got DeGrom cheap, they've got Harvey cheap, uh, and they haven't been spending the money on... I mean, they, they signed Cespedes, fine, but 
you know, and they have Conforto, who's a really good young, looks like to be a really good young prospect, really good young hitter, but they haven't gone out and gotten guys to just turn that lineup into mashers that will go out and just dominate teams every single night. And, and you would think they would be the team rather right. than the, the Red Sox who would be out there, you know, throwing money at some of the, now, thank, thankfully they not, now part of that has to do with the market too. There's right. not a ton of guys in the market, but I mean, there's a, there, there are guys that you would have said, you know, over this is your time to overpay for this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the way the Cardinals did with Matt Holiday. Right. That was the and that's kind of the genius of what John Mozeliak and those guys did. They they saw they had this window with a lot of young mm-hmm. Adam Wainwright in his prime, yep. Jaime Garcia, and they they overpaid for uh, Berkman. They overpaid for Matt Holiday, and they won a bunch of World Series. Yeah, the, the, the Mets, same thing with the Giants actually. Right. The Mets were crying poor for all those years. Whether or not they actually were, um, nobody could exactly go and overthrow the front office. So what I what I hear from all of this is between the Mets crying poor for all that time until they finally went out and got Cespedes and not coincidentally went to the World Series immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything else you've said about the Mets is that their window is actually tiny in a lot of ways because of the timing of all these things coming together. I don't know if it's tiny. I mean, Syndergaard's it's still not in much. His, I mean, Syndergaard's still in his first, first couple of years of service time. Yeah. DeGrom's still in his first couple of years of service time. Wheeler's still in his first couple of years of service time. And th- right there, that's... And, any one of those three guys would, is better than Aaron Nola and would be the number. You know, anyone. They, they've sure. got three Vince Velasquez's who also locate their pitches. Right. You know, so they, they have a very, very large wealth of pitching. Matt Harvey can leave this team and they'll still be one of the best pitching teams in mm-hmm. the league. So I don't know that I would say that their window is tiny. Um, you know, frankly, I think the Nationals. What I think what we're saying is that they could really solidify themselves now and they haven't. They right. had a chance to do it and they didn't. Um, for whatever reason, whether it's because they, they didn't have the money or they had the money and didn't want to spend it because Bernie Madoff, you know, of that situation, whatever, which depending on who you talk to, they either made money or lost money or whatever the case may be. So, um, one way or another, I think what Murph is saying is that they had a chance to really make themselves dominant if they struck while the iron was This was was their peak. Yeah. 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 But I don't, I don't think that they're going, put it this way. I don't think the Mets are going anywhere anytime within the next four or five years. Yeah. I mean, when you have three guys, I mean, those guys, those three guys, Wheeler, uh, DeGrom, and what's his name, Syndergaard, aren't going to be free agents, I don't think, until 20, at least 2020, 2021. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, it's like, why even project down the road? But the Nationals, it's going to come down to, you know, Bryce Harper, even if, if they can even stay competitive. Because if he leaves, you know, they, they, they got old quick. Yep. They've got the second wealthiest owner in the majors. And they're crying poverty because of this whole TV rights spat that they're in. They don't own their own TV rights. The Orioles do, and they're keeping down the amount of money they can get. With all, in part, that's as much a reason as any why people think Harper's going. Now, they also think that he's just going to go to the Yankees for the sake of going to the Yankees. But there's an awful lot of people who are convinced that the Nationals also have a relatively small window left in which to win a World Series. And if we're talking by 2018 and Harper goes— it sure seems to me like the way is open for the Phillies to step right in. Yeah, well, what's interesting about Harper to me is, I mean, the Yankees are, what, 8-15, and 8-16 and 16 this season, something around there. Um, so if, if that team is not a contender in this season and in 2017, does Harper see the opportunity to be the guy with the Yankees to resurrect them? You know, Mickey Mantle coming in, the best player in baseball, you know, to bring back the greatest franchise in baseball. That's something I would like to keep an eye on. I mean, talk about a a, a story that would be cool to follow one way or another. Um, that'd be interesting, I, I think. 
Yeah, I don't know Bryce Harper, and I don't know. I don't either. I don't even yeah. know if that would matter to him or yeah, not. Yeah, that's the thing. But, is it's 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 uh, it's a complete wild card. I think really you have to look at the Phillies as independent. Um, you know, I don't know that they need. I don't know that they need either one of those two teams to to fall off a cliff for them to. Right. But I mean, I, they, they I, well, began, look at it this way. They began their run of dominance in 2007, the year after the Mets had come within a game of the World Series, and everybody assumed, well, they've got David Wright and Jose Reyes and um, Carlos Delgado and Paula Duca, and they just, they, you know, the following year they got Johan Santana, and they're, they're going to be dominant. They're going to run that division for years, and it never happened. It happened for one year, and then the Phillies took over. Right. Yeah, I think that, look, let's, let's also not undersell the amount of work the Phillies still have to do. Right. It, it, right. it is very hard. I mean, the Mets have had these pitchers for, as you said, I mean, Harvey's been there for three or, three or four years now, and he and Wheeler were together for a season. Uh, you know, they, I, I know all three of them have only been together at a certain point in time, but I don't even know what I was about to say. <laughs> That's about the time I think we say the show's probably done, right? I think oh, so. What oh. I'm, what, what, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe. What possibly. I was about to say is the Phillies right now still only have Michael Franco, Aaron Nola, Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Vince, Vince Velasquez, five starts of Vince Velasquez, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, they, like, Eikhoff is fine. And, like, but none of those guys would even be, like, Eikhoff would not be in the Mets rotation, you know? Right. Um, so let's just. It's still the finding yeah, out exactly, phase. Exactly. It's still right. the finding out phase. And, but that's what's fun because, you know, we already knew what they had last year. You know, I mean, we knew they had slop in their rotation. You knew what Chase Utley was, and you knew what Ryan Howard was. We still know what Ryan Howard is. So the intrigue now is finding out what these guys are. Can, you know, what will Michael Michael Franco look like over a full season? What will Aaron Noah look like over a full season? Is there is Odubel Herrera really a potential batting champ or something like that? You know, and and that's the intrigue of the summer is we'll find those things out. You know, unlike this podcast about which there is no intrigue. Yeah, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. All right. All right. Talk to you guys next week.